Good morning. You're awake? Love the evenings. Can't say the same thing about the mornings. Well, we're continuing in the series, lessons that took me 71 years to learn. And I want to start out with a holy, righteous comment by Socrates. The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. So we should close in prayer. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that. <laughs> Most teens get really smart about the time they graduate from high school. If you're a teen, I'm particularly talking to you this morning. Um, they get so smart that they don't think that their parents know very much. It's an amazing thing. It only gets exacerbated once they enter college. Now they're convinced their folks don't know anything. One year of college produces so much knowledge and insight that the freshman is catapulted into a higher hemisphere of intellectualism and a feeling that they have it all together. Four years later, they graduate from college. All of a sudden, many come to the same conclusion that I came to. They're surprised how much dad and mom learned in four years. Here's one of the greatest lessons I learned in college. I don't know very much. College and seminary gave me the tools of discovery, but not life experience. I didn't get smarter by going to college. Our intelligence is pretty well determined before we ever go to kindergarten. We primarily learn how to discover things, and there's so much more to be unlocked than that little box of knowledge that we find ourselves living in. And much of that discovery has more to do with life experience than four years of college. Why? We can talk about a hammer. My dad was big on this. We can talk about using a hammer and saw and a screwdriver all we want. But until we start pounding and sawing and turning screws, we haven't accomplished anything. We haven't created anything. We just know something about the tools. When I graduated from college, I had to continue going to school. I had to check right back into seminary. There were more tools of discovery I needed for my profession. I went to college and seminary for eight years. And if I didn't think I knew very much after four years of college, I was sure I didn't know very much about after four years in seminary. I was going to enter a profession with very little life experience. I had been cooped up in an evangelical hothouse for seven of the last eight years. Uh, a very smart guy, in fact, the wisest guy who ever lived, Solomon, said getting wisdom is the most important thing that you can do. Having said that, we, don't make, we should not make the mistake of equating wisdom with knowledge. They're two different things. Solomon told his son, listen, my child, to what your father teaches you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and clothe you with honor. The one good thing that brought me down to earth was the need to pay for my own college and seminary expenses. Uh, my parents could not afford to send me to school. In fact, they questioned my call to 
to Bible school and to seminary simply because of the inability to pay. We lived from paycheck to paycheck. There just wasn't enough funds to send a boy to college and seminary. But I was convinced that God had called me to Trinity and that he would also make a way for it to happen. And I learned a valuable lesson, and I'll say this three or four times this morning. When God calls you to something, no matter what it is, when God calls you to something, he will always make it possible. As a song song goes, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And I remember the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness after they left Egypt. It has been estimated that over two million of them Uh, There were over 2 million of them, plus their animals. They were in the desert for 40 years. And the book of Exodus tells us that God provided manna for them to eat. Exodus 16. But God not only provided enough for each day, but they would have to trust God for tomorrow because he only gave them just enough for each day. They had to trust him for tomorrow. He provided water for them. It's estimated that it would have taken uh, several tank car, train tank car loads of water uh, each day to quench the thirst of over two million people plus their livestock. Where do you find that kind of water in the desert? God made a way. God will always make a way. God will always make a way when we are obedient to his calling and direction in our lives. He may not give us enough to squander, but he will supply what we need to be obedient to what he has called us to be and what he's called us to do. We've relied on that promise big time, Sherry and I, when God called us to go to Haiti as we got ready to sell our house at the bottom of the housing market when no houses were selling and selling appreciably lower than the mortgages on those houses, I thought, and well, let me add, we found out from the mission agency, not only do we need to sell our house, but we had to raise $60,000 a year for our uh, time in Haiti. Um, I thought about what I had witnessed so many times in the past year, 71 years. He may not give us enough to squander, but he will supply what we need to be obedient to what he has called us to be and to do. We had to sell our house for a certain amount of money so that we could pay off the mortgage and have enough left over to eradicate our debts. We sold our house for exactly the amount that was needed, almost to the dollar. The third time, I'll say this, he may not give us enough to squander, but he will supply what we need to be obedient to what he has called us to be and to do. Back to the story. When school was over for summer, the boy, this boy checked in at a local union hall as a general contractor. I dug holes, carried bricks, manhandled a jackhammer. I crawled into foundry blast furnaces just after they were shut down to replace tiles. I worked with hot tar on roofs and auto factory floors. I helped build docks in the river. I even directed traffic on a road project, the worst and most boring of all. I said, give me the hardest job you got, but don't ever put me on a road crew again. (laughs) I spent summers getting up, eating breakfast, spending eight to 12 hours on the job, coming home, eating supper, and going to bed. There wasn't much of a social life during the summer. 
God was making it possible for me to pay for the, the, the tuition and my expenses at school. And God was giving me real life experience with some very strange people who were totally different than the evangelical hothouse clones with whom I was spending eight months of the year. Some of you can, I, by the chuckles, I, I sense that you can relate. I also worked during the school year as a school janitor. I was the main man in the school gym. This included cleaning the locker rooms and pushing a broom up and down the length of the basketball court at halftime. And if you didn't already know it, locker rooms are the pits. I also learned the value of attending class. Um, hear this, those of you that are in high school and particularly college where you can choose not to go to class. Everybody who took music appreciation passed. Almost everybody, that is. You see, I thought it was a cush class and I didn't need to attend. So when I showed up for the uh, final exam, I didn't know squat. Um, I flunked music appreciation. For all of you musicians out there, sorry. You gotta know something to pass the test. I learned that you can't breeze through life. Sometimes you have to attend class. You have to apply yourself. In fact, the book of uh, Proverbs is full of advice about this. Solomon is very concerned that his son not be a fool like me. He said in Proverbs 12.10, hard work means prosperity. Only fools idle away their time. I also learned that I'm, I'm not only mathematically challenged, but I'm also foreign language challenge. Uh, to graduate <clears throat> from Trinity College, we had to take a couple years of a foreign language. And because I was a Bible major, I, I selected classical Greek. Big mistake. Um, I had enough difficulty understanding Plato, Socrates, Euripides, and, and English, let alone Greek. And I struggled with classical Greek. In fact, I struggled so much that I did not, was not able to graduate with my class in 1968. Excuse me. Thank you, Nancy. I'm going to take advantage of it. Nancy is my great-great-great-grandmother. She takes care of me. I have to, have to put her in my car and take her home <clears throat> come at the end of April. By the grace of God, I was allowed to begin seminary in the fall on a provisional basis. I took a full load of seminary classes and one college class of classical Greek. And if I passed classical Greek at the end of the year, I would be allowed to continue my seminary education. <clears throat> Absolutely no pressure. The end of the year came, and with it, the final exams. <clears throat> Excuse me. I remember thinking I did pretty well on my Greek exam. A few minutes before the end of class, my professor, who became a good friend, put his arm around my shoulders and asked how I was doing. And I said, Dr. Erickson, I think I'm doing very well. I think. He looked at my pa paper, and he asked, how are you doing on the back side of the paper? I was so nervous and tense that I failed to notice that there were questions on both sides <clears throat> of all the papers. Talk about depressed. 
I was not only going to be unable to continue with seminary, <coughs> excuse me, I would be on the next plane to Vietnam. That was 1969. Without my seminary deferment, I would be drafted. Unlike many in our country who became seminary students during the Vietnam War to escape the war, I was there because God was calling me into the ministry. Failing the test would really be a life and death matter, but more importantly, disobedience to God's call on my life. Well, I received a D minus. That was the best D minus anybody could ever receive. Did I deserve it? No, I failed the class again. I'll be ever for, forever indebted to Dr. Norman Erickson, who later became a professor at Wheaton College for that D minus. It was called Grace, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by a special favor when, when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Ironically, I got B's, B's not D's. I want that on the record. I got B's in seminary Greek, with the exception of Luke and Acts, whose doc, authors, Dr. Luke was a physician. For the most part, the New Testament of the Bible is written in the language of the common person, common people. It's called Koine Greek, and I didn't have to deal with the classical philosophers. I ran across, this past week, I ran across an applicable book, that, and it's, with the title of the book is Learn Greek in 25 Years, <laughs> a, a Crash Course for the Linguistically Challenged. No kidding, that's an actual book. That's me. For me, college was a four-year youth group experience, um, a social event. Our little church in Bay City, Michigan had very few youth. After graduating from high school, most of my friends moved out of town. I attended one year of junior college at home, and I was bored. I loved my family, but I wanted to get out of town. Trinity was a great experience for me. I made friends with Christian kids from all over the United States and several foreign countries, and Chicago offered all kinds of great experiences. In fact, I'd spent all my money the first orientation week from going back and forth for pizza downtown Chicago. This boy had problems. I'm trying to let you see me. I, I'm being vulnerable. According to my wife, too vulnerable. Consequently, I really didn't start applying myself until I entered seminary. I realized that once I left seminary, I would be in the real world. I needed to get prepared. And little did I know that very little in college and seminary prepared me for the real world. A quick note, there was a young woman in our church in Fremont, California, who was at Trinity the same time I was. She told me she thought I was an intellectual. I said, I, I, she thought I was really smart. I asked her whatever gave her that idea. She said, you were always carrying a lot of books around. She, People will never know. Just carry the books around. <laughs> All that did was build up my arm and shoulder muscles. It did, it did nothing for my brain. 
I shared with you that I had to trust God for provision and school expenses. That was tested the max to the max before my second year in seminary. Instead of heading home for the summer and marching down to the Union Hall, I traveled with a musical team from the school. It was a ministry tour of 12,000 miles in the western United States. Um, we concluded our tour one week before the fall term commenced. There were six of us. Three girls, three guys, I sang bass and did the preaching. What an experience. The singing wasn't too bad. The preaching, next page. <laughs> but God had a purpose in bringing me to California. The district superintendent of the Southwest District of the Free Church thought I had potential. He later made it possible for me to begin seminary, our pastoral ministry in Covina, California, a suburb of, Cal of Los Angeles. But there's one amazing thing. That summer I was paid just enough to live on. There was no money to be made for college expenses uh, during the year, but I was able to get a job as a men's resident advisor in the college and in the fall, and all of my room and board was paid for. I continued to work as a janitor and all that money went to tuition and books. And the amazing thing is money just started turning up I would, I'd go to my mailbox and find money from totally unexpected sources. God made it possible for all of my needs to be taken care of during that school year. And remember what I said, when God calls you to something, he will make provision for you. But let me add this, what we need to confirm is who's doing the calling. When God does the calling, he makes it possible to fulfill his call. But we have to make sure that we know who's doing the calling. Sometimes we make more noise than God. Consequently, what we are hearing is our own desire or someone else's desire for our life. I see that way too much today. We're obsessed with the blessings of God. We think God's blessing are related to our call on our lives, our wants, our desires, our plans. That, however, is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God's blessings are directly related to our obedience of God's will and direction in our life. Psalm 119, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. That was Psalm 119, 1 to 7. There's a great story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5. It concerns a leper named Naaman and the prophet of God, Elisha. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. You'll see it on the screen. So Naaman went home with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. 
But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Parfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. The lesson here. Um, that we've just read is that the blessings of God are specifically connected to obedience. Specifically connected to obedience. The summer before starting seminary, I was employed by Youth for Christ in Michigan. I worked for them in a group which was called Lifeline. We worked with tough kids, kids who were wards of the court, kids who were in trouble, kids who were abandoned and for the most part unwanted kids. I headed up the boys' division. Something amazing happened that summer. I learned to appreciate my dad and my mom. I, remained, I learned to appreciate my home. I learned to appreciate unconditional love. I remember walking up the steps of one home to ask the parents of an inner city teenage boy if I could take their son to camp for a week. They said, yes, but don't bring him home. When camp was over, I brought the boy home. I didn't think his parents were serious. When I got to the door, the mother said, why did you bring him home? I told you not to bring him home. And she slammed the door in my face. I was left standing on the porch with a tearful young unwanted boy. This is so foreign to my upbringing and my home. I just couldn't comprehend that. That same supper, summer, I created a close relationship with another inner city boy I had brought to camp. On Wednesday night, I asked him if he wanted to ask Jesus into his life. He said he wanted to, but he had done too many bad things. He didn't think Jesus could forgive him or would forgive him. I'm not sure what all he was into, possibly drugs, stealing, but he really wanted to get washed up by Jesus. He just felt that he knew too much and if he got his life straight and left the gang, they would hunt him down and probably kill him. He was a great athlete. He won all kinds of awards that week at camp. And just before heading back to Chicago for seminary, I stopped at his house and he had all of the awards that he had won at camp on the table. He was there with his mom and dad and they all had huge smiles on their faces. I said I would check in on him when I came back for Thanksgiving break, and that Thanksgiving I stopped over to see him. His dad and mom said that he had dropped out of sight. They hadn't seen him for over a month. Allow me to compare my 15-year-old inner-city friend with a rich man in Matthew 19. There Jesus tells us about a rich man who thought he was too good to give it all up for Jesus. He lived out his life on this earth, and then he went to hell. Conversely, <clears throat> my 15-year-old friend just first thought he was too bad. 
but he did give his life to Jesus. <clears throat> and if he was killed by the gang, his future was determined. He went to heaven. That summer between college and seminary, working with inner city kids did more than anything else to grow me up and give me the real life experiences that I would lead later in life, even 71 years. I was actually using the hammer, saw, and screwdriver, not just learning about them. Job 11.6, <clears throat> for true wisdom is not a simple matter. For true wisdom is not a simple matter. My, my dad often referred to it as the college of hard knocks. Someone did a great job describing the Hard Knocks University, the institution. They said, in school, you study diligently to be educated. However, real education takes place when you leave school. That's where, you, that's where and when you encounter the Hard Knocks in life. At Hard Knocks College, education is beyond the confines of the traditional classroom of chalk and talk. <clears throat> it takes place out there in the unforgiving highways and byways of life. Learning occurs daily and life's rough and tumble. You gain real life experience not available from textbooks. Failure is a major component of education. You did not fail, but you learned something. There are no failures, only feedback. Failure is something you cannot learn in school. Not even the best universities in the world instruct failure. Only Hard Knocks College has failure in its curriculum, and Mr. Failure is the greatest teacher. Welcome to Hard Knocks College, application open to everyone. Tuition fees are inexpensive. Lessons learned are, here are invaluable and last a lifetime. Our motto reads, no failures, only success delayed. When you walk among, along the revered corridors of Hard Knocks College, you cannot but learn. Everyone can pass its exams, conducted in real time. And when you graduate from the prestigious Hard Knocks College, you are distinguished. That is because you have received enough Hard Knocks in life to comprehend life's purpose. At Hard Knocks College, we are not the teachers who instruct you. Rather, we create the right environment for you to learn. We do not believe in the filling of the cup, but screwing the light bulb into your mind and setting it alight. I thought it was very good um, teaching on the life experience that we need outside the classroom. Let me conclude with Proverbs chapter four. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment, for I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instruction. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, Develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. 
My child, listen to me and do as I say, and you will live a long, good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. And when you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. Proverbs 4, 1 to 13. Well, next week, I don't want you to miss, particularly if you're contemplating marriage, you are married, or you wish you weren't. Um, this is all for you. Today was instruction for those a little younger than me and most of you. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. The title is, Who Was That Girl with the Dark Brown Hair in the Back Seat? She's seated behind the sound booth over there. The topic is marriage. There'll be many verses, but one I just picked out as a teaser for next week is Ecclesiastes 4.12. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. And of course, that triple braid is the husband, the wife, and Jesus. Well, we got through that one. I wish, and so does Sherry, I wish that our dads were still living so we could continue to praise them for all the lessons they learned us, they taught us outside the classroom. And kids, college, high school, younger, I know this sounds like an old man's lecture. But dad and mom know more than you give them credit for. They've been through Hard Knocks College. They're wise. And they love you. And they just want to be an example for you. Father, um, I pray for those amongst us here this morning that our students and I pray Father that they would pursue wisdom that they would listen to mom and dad and but that mom and dad would be very wise in the life they live and the example they live and the instruction that they give they'd be very careful to follow wisdom themselves so that they can be the example that's needed. Father, I also want to thank you that whenever you call any of us into something, to go somewhere, to be someone, whatever the case is, it's your call on our life that we would trust you for the ability to accomplish it, all that's needed to accomplish it. And we also, Father, confess that sometimes we want more, but you give us just enough, and that's adequate. Lots of lessons this morning, Father. I pray for your Holy Spirit to, act, to apply the lessons to each of our lives where it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen.
prayer team. 